0: I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Dave Demmer.
1: Hey, I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Jamie Byrne.
2: And hi, I'm Dr. Tom Dixon, GP in Melbourne and likes every colour of the rainbow. And welcome to the
0: Meet Q podcast, where each episode we meet Q, a fictional member of the LGBTQIAP plus community who's struggling with their mental health, while the three of us sit around and have a chat about what's going on for Q and how we would support Q in therapy and medically. Thanks for joining us. We of course acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, and today we're recording again from Dalesford. So we acknowledge the Jaja Warang people of this land, and we pay our respects to the elders past and present, and we extend that respect to any First Nation listeners today. Sovereignty was never ceded.
2: Welcome everyone! Hello!
1: Hey guys, how are you going?
2: Oh, you know, I'm loving the country air. Mm-hmm.
1: I am, but I'm getting eaten alive already and it's just going to get worse.
2: Well, it's just because you're too
0: delectable. <laughs> she is talking about mosquitoes. So we're coming <laughs> oh. to you live from Chill Out Festival here in the beautiful Dales. Yeah. we not Dalesford. getting any
1: action around this table. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we're recording outside and it's a
2: wonderful warm day, but we're um, yeah. in, eaten alive by mosquitoes. Well, I'm actually fine. So evidently I'm just still being rejected. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> we went deep yeah. early.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay, Uh, should we meet Q? Let's do it. Hi, I'm Q. I'm in my mid-30s, and I've
1: been with my partner for several years. Over the last little while, I'm realizing more and more that monogamy just doesn't feel right for me. I love my partner, but I have a much higher sex drive than him, and I just feel guilty all the time that I'm putting pressure on him to have sex. And although I kind of feel bad saying it, I also miss the thrill of dating and flirting. I really don't know how to bring this up with him. I love him and I don't want to lose a relationship, but I'm getting annoyed that I'm missing out on exploring other connections that might be out there for me.
0: Okay, thank you, Q. All right, looks like we're talking about potentially opening up a relationship here, at least questioning that.
1: Isn't it an awkward conversation? Can we start by just acknowledging that? Mm -hmm. If you decide you want to have this conversation, Q, you're in for an awkward one. Well, I think it's.
2: like I think that's what we all perceive it to be, yeah. And I I would question whether it needs to be, mm. because I think when we come to these relationship uh, questions, mm. it's like the text you get when like it's like we need to talk. Mm. Yeah. Everyone yeah. knows mm. what that text message mm. means usually. Mm. But, like, it's I don't because know. we.
1: I've never got that before, Tom. <laughs> so <laughs> that's because, Jamie, I think we covered in the
2: avoidance, uh, the attachment episode oh, that you're avoidant. Um,
0: <laughs> Jamie's the one sending the we need to talk <laughs> messages. <laughs> You've got the template down, Pat, uh, don't
2: you? <laughs> I've,
1: yeah, a <I'm> ghost. Sorry. <laughs> I do not. I am a wonderful partner. Mm. (laughs) No. Oh, my God. Don't don't, come for me. They actually don't listen to this. (laughs) At the moment. Um,
2: But I think when we're kind of prefacing this type of conversation, we do assume it's going to be met with like rejection or difficulty or kind of challenges and therefore like we almost preempt, like it's like the kind of self-fulfilling prophecy that it's going to be awkward if we make it awkward. Whereas I think one of the key things in any relationship, whether it's a monogamous relationship or a relationship that's open or poly or all sorts of different forms of relationship, which we're going to cover today, that communication is key. And if we set up from the get-go active communication and kind of engaged communication, we can kind of accept our partner's needs without it necessarily therefore being awkward. And I think the vulnerable part here
0: to kind of tap into what you're saying there, Jamie, and, and also what you're saying there, Tom, the vulnerable part is to express those needs. Yeah. To be able to connect with and articulate those to our partner. That's the vulnerable thing. What I find really interesting about communication is, uh, you know, as health professionals and maybe, you know, especially as psychologists and, and Tom, certainly not to take away anything from what you do. Uh, our job is communication like our job is to understand and to talk to people and to understand people mm. and our job in particular, Jamie as psychologists is to have vulnerable conversations all of the time.
1: All of the time. And I think <laughs>
0: that I probably take that for granted sometimes and forget that actually a lot of people don't have vulnerable you conversations. Can I also just flag just because we're good at doing it at our jobs does not mean that we're good
1: at doing that in our <laughs> uh-huh. personal See, so life. I would,
0: I would challenge and disagree <laughs> really? with that. I feel like I'm relatively good at having vulnerable conversations in my life oh. but I forget that my downfall Uh, here, Jamie, is that I forget that not everyone has that same experience mm, as I do. They don't, mm. you know, just like I... Can't cook a great piece of steak, whereas a chef could come in and do that because, he, yeah, thanks Jeremy, uh, because because a chef could do that because that's what they do for a job. Yeah. I feel like I'm pretty good at vulnerable conversations, mm. but I fall down and forget that not everybody does. And so probably within some of my close relationships with people, particularly outside of the yeah. psychology profession, uh, I find it easy to raise a vulnerable conversation with them, and they might not find it easy I don't to know have.
1: That I- Have that experience, Dave, because I think, for example, when I'm having vulnerable conversations with my clients, like, is is hopefully what's happened is I've created a completely safe space for us to engage in that conversation. So it's a little bit easier to lean into that vulnerability. Mm. I think when I'm having those conversations in my personal life, be it with families, you know, partners, all the rest there's the stakes feel a lot higher. Sure. Yeah. And mm. I think that's that's the difference that in having those conversations, I can truly say that I feel really safe in having those conversations with my clients and I hope my clients feel safe in having those conversations with me, with my loved ones. Even though I know that I'm loved unconditionally most of the time, <laughs> um, I'm not sure that it always feels safe
0: even when it is. Ah, Absolutely. And I think I've done a lot of reflecting in this space over time and I think one of the things that has really stood out to me as being the differentiator here is because I have these conversations a lot, I am lucky enough to have the language around them. Mm. I'm lucky enough to have the skills to be able to tap into what my needs are and to be able to understand them and to be able to express them and I think that unfortunately a lot of people out here and, and maybe Q here maybe doesn't have that same connection. I think From what I'm hearing from Q is he's starting to explore what his needs are. Mm. He's starting to explore that. Maybe doesn't have the language to approach his partner right now about it. Um, But I think that's the difference. And how can we help Q Mm. to be able to connect with those needs, understand those needs, and then importantly, articulate those needs? Are
1: you words of affirmation, Dave? Uh, actually, no, I'm not words of affirmation in love languages. Very words I, am, of I am quality day.
0: time wow. and
2: yeah. I am physical touch. Ooh, I'm a physical touch kind of girl. I'm an active of service. Like oh. yeah, that's what I do for other people. But um, I think one of the things just to kind of draw back to vulnerability and I think it's something that uh, is really important here, but it's also really important to define what vulnerable is. And like vulnerability, like by its nature, requires us to have something on the line. Um, And I think as kind of clinicians, when we're kind of creating a space of vulnerability, we're always going to be an impartial person in that space um, because we're kind of treating the person. Uh, Whereas when we're doing it with like our own loved ones, we really, kind of struggle because like we're the people that are going to have the cost attributed to it if it goes wrong. And so vulnerability for me is never kind of something that I'm vulnerable with a patient, but I allow them to be vulnerable um, with me. But I think that's because I've created a safe Mm -hmm. space that's enough that there is no cost to them because they know I'm not going to judge them.
1: I really like to think that I am vulnerable with my clients and I think that's taken me a lot of time to get to, Um, but I I think that I would really struggle with connection uh, with my clients if I wasn't comfortable being vulnerable. And for me, that doesn't mean, um, you know, telling clients everything about my life. I don't think they need to know that, but I think sitting in that emotional vulnerability and really saying how, you know, their stories and their experiences affect me at a really emotional level is how I show my emotional vulnerability. What you're it. showing
2: there, Jamie, I yeah. think is that connection.
1: Yeah. And I i mean, this is just the therapeutic lens that I come from that I, I've certainly had the, had the experience of feeling disconnected from people and, uh, you know, professionals and personals, right? And is there anything worse? Okay, so Q comes to you, Dave. Yep. How are you going to support him in having that
0: conversation with his partner? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Look, I would uh, first and foremost... Q, we really want to help you to connect with exactly what the needs are. I'm hearing a lot of questioning from Q here. I'm hearing still this place of exploration and potentially not quite understanding exactly what his needs are. So I'd be wanting to work with him perhaps around, well, what is going to be right for you, Q? And then once we've understood exactly what it is that Q feels he needs in his relationship, then being able to have that vulnerable conversation with his partner. And there's lots of different ways to do that. And I think I've said this in a previous episode that when we want to have these more vulnerable conversations, we often don't want to just surprise attack someone with a vulnerable conversation that we might give them a little bit of time to prepare. So it might be a text message or something like that or, or you know, keying up, hey, let's have dinner. Let's have a bit of a chat about how things are going in our relationship at the moment. So one of the things that stuck out to me
1: um, that you told me in one of the other episodes, Dave, was around the bisexuality, that this is something that you might have been thinking about for a really, Mm. really long time. This might come as a shock to your partner.
0: Absolutely. So in order to, I guess, explore this area, I mean, I'm going to say again, it sounds like Hugh's questioning exactly what he wants and what type of relationship and what relationship boundaries he wants, what um, uh, sexual boundaries he wants within the relationship. We would really want to be as professionals coming in to help support him to explore that. Mm. Um Tom, what are your thoughts here?
2: Well I think I probably am gonna reflect on the book Um The Ethical Slut here, where the reason it's called that is because slut is a term for I suppose someone who sleeps around a lot or has multiple sexual relationships with multiple people. Um, and as a result, it's kind of a derogatory term in kind of historical society perspective, um, recent historical, because ultimately that's viewed as not accepted. Whereas the way it's embraced there, and the reason it's got the word ethical at the front is because the ethics comprise of it being consensual and being communicated and every party in that kind of person's world, whether it's a one night stand or someone that they're with um, kind of for 20, 30 years, is uh, consenting to the type of relationship that that person's having as the slut themselves.
1: I just want to take a moment to really reflect on where monogamy comes from, right? It's this idea of man sleeps with woman, woman gets pregnant, woman has baby, man wants to know, am I putting these resources, this hunting and gathering into my child or is it some guy down the road? Yeah. So within this, you might notice that when someone has a kid, there's this tendency uh, for lots of relatives to gather around and go, oh, doesn't he look like his dad? Almost like everyone's trying to persuade the dad. Hey, stick around. This is your child. So it's really interesting and fascinating. All right, Tom, I know that you are really interested in this area. Can you help our listeners with some definitions around monogamy, poly, poly? help us out.
2: Well, yeah, I think it's um, certainly something where we've often been schooled in only one option. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know what the Mm -hmm. other options are. And you've got this situation where there are essentially endless numbers of relationship types that we can have. Uh, Kind of in the swinging 60s, their swinging may have referred to being swinging, i.e. having like kind of these groups of swingers parties where everyone's keys would like Mm -hmm. kind of classically go in a bowl Mm -hmm. and you would kind of, pair up based on which key you pulled out of the bowl as the female. Um, Obviously, that's kind of a very heteronormative uh, view on different types of relationships. And it's also one that kind of demonstrates consent because everyone's attended that party and they've kind of notioned as to what uh, they're kind of happy or not happy about doing. The other options are you can have kind of very uh, V-shaped relationships where you've got one partner kind of at the base of the Mm -hmm. V, uh, and then you've got that partner having two partners, but all three of them being aware of um, kind of what's going on. But the two partners at the top of the V aren't kind of sleeping or kind of romantically involved with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you've got all sorts of different forms of poly uh, or polyamorous relationships, which... And polyamorous, I suppose, comes from Greek and it means to love many. Mm -hmm. And it essentially is one that's a new term and I think is really a great term of describing that we can love kind of many people and it uh, be one where essentially we don't define ourselves by this one core relationship.
1: And there's a difference, right, between romantic polyamory mm. and sexual polyamory.
2: Like there's like literally a list that's too long for me. Like we would spend an half an hour talking about just going through each of the terms on the list if we were to do it today. But I think the kind of core concepts here are that, um, and one that probably I've forgotten is, and maybe applicable here in queues in terms of options, and it's certainly very common in the gay community, is open relationships. Uh, where there is a core kind of romantic relationship, Mm. uh, Jamie. However, they kind of are sexually open and therefore Mm -hmm. kind of may bring third partners Mm -hmm. or kind of go and have uh, partnered uh, sex um, outside of the relationship. And it's really, I think, the core thing here to bring it back to is being ethical and making sure that every um, kind of person within that relationship, whether it's one other person or multiple other people, is aware of the situation and it's all consented to. Yeah consent so Dave like we haven't mm-hmm. heard from you in a little while now uh, what's your perspective here uh,
0: look the way that I, I I would work with Q around this would be to help him understand um, as you're kind of talking about there Tom the difference between the romantic or intimate or emotional boundaries of a relationship versus the sexual boundaries of a relationship so for example when I'm working with couples uh, I often have these conversations around what is okay romantically with somebody else and what is okay sexually with somebody else. Uh, and they're really important domains to separate out because um, in, in some ways we're talking about, you know, sexual monogamy, in some ways we're talking about polyamory or relationship um, monogamy or non-monogamy. Uh, so is it, if we're talking about the sexual boundaries, is it okay for Q to be able to have sex with somebody else? Does the partner have to be present or can the partner not be there? What type of communication do they have around those types of sexual experiences? And I've got some really strong views about that, which which I'll talk about soon, I'm sure. And then on the flip side of that, the romantic boundaries so uh, or the emotional boundaries. So are you allowed to go on a date with someone else or are you just allowed to have sex with somebody else? Are you allowed to spend, you know, spend the night with somebody else? Because that's often a more intimate
2: experience than simply having sex. So, Dave, like I'm going to somewhat disagree um, with kind of like the categorization of like romantic versus sexual, because I think it's more complex than that. Mm. And ultimately, we need to be in a situation where we can acknowledge that we need may develop emotional connection with someone we have sex with and that we may not. Um, and equally, someone we have emotions with, we may not want to have sex with. Uh, And so it's really important that we kind of look at the person at the centre of it and just connect with them as a person on the whole. And how we do that then in relationships is we make sure that we have an evolving, consensual, uh, romantic and sexual um, exploration of these ideas with our partner. Absolutely. This is an evolving, uh, this is always
0: an evolving uh, understanding between two partners. And I guess it is it is absolutely a very crude separation of romantic boundaries and sexual boundaries. And there certainly is overlap over those, over those areas sometimes, even when we don't actually anticipate that or, or want that or plan for that, that can absolutely happen. Um, uh, I think the reason that I separate them out with clients is to help them understand that there are actually kind of different areas here that we want to give thought to uh, around, you know, not just the sexual stuff, which can be, you know, sometimes very primal and very uh, something that we just want to engage in from a sexual get your rocks off type of perspective. Uh, And sometimes there's actually also emotional and romantic and connection stuff beyond the sexual that sometimes our partner, as much as we might love them, isn't able to meet Mm -hmm. for us. And another reason that I make sure that I talk about the sexual boundaries and the emotional or romantic boundaries with clients as well is because I think we don't give enough um, credence or airtime or, or shine enough light on the idea that there are different types of relationship boundaries, not just sexual boundaries. It is quite common in, in the LGBT community, much more so than than people who don't ident- identify as part of the rainbow community, uh, to have more diffuse sexual boundaries within their relationships. Um, and for us to also acknowledge that, you know what, diffuse romantic and emotional boundaries might also be really important for some people as well.
1: I know that you boys are a little, little bit of it. Anxious attachment, is that okay to like air? (laughs) As long as
0: it doesn't sound judgmental. It ain't
1: judgmental. I think we both owned it in the anxious (laughs) (laughs) attachment episode. okay. And since I've been called it as the avoidant, let's let's go for it. How do you guys feel about this idea of jealousy? And if we were to open up the relationship, how are we going to talk to clients
2: about this? I think it it needs to be spoken about as potentially being an inevitable Uh Um, because uh, it's one of those things that like any of us who've been dating or kind of in relationships have kind of questioned, oh, what's that person doing outside of like their time with me? Yeah. And I think this is where the communication is so essential um, because essentially, if we have that already established open communication where everything is consented to and every partner is aware of what the other partner is doing um, or other partners, then it allows for that jealousy to be mitigated because ultimately, when we experience that jealousy, which can happen, Mm -hmm. it doesn't turn to resentment because it's Mm -hmm. not hidden and it's not in the shadows.
1: So it's like I can say to my partner, you know, I'm a little bit jealous that you've had that connection and maybe I could air that feeling that I had. And maybe in airing that as well, I'm actually saying I'm enjoying that energy my partner's bringing home to me. I'm enjoying that vibe. I'm enjoying that vivaciousness because at the same time that I might be experiencing some jealousy, I'm also experiencing joy in my partner's joy. Yep. So ignorance is not bliss in not knowing what my partner's doing.
0: Ignorance is definitely not bliss. And I think following on from what you're saying there, Tom, this idea of jealousy and this idea of being able to communicate what I've seen, particularly in the couples that I've supported in, in opening up their relationship in some way, is that a lot of partners, or at least one of the partners, I should say, doesn't want to know. They want to keep it in the dark. You know, what I don't know doesn't hurt me and they can go do what they need to do, but I don't want to be hearing about that. Yeah, it does. And what I found is that actually really doesn't work. Okay. The more that we can be, the more that we can be open, the more that we can actually say, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. This is who I'm being with. uh, The more that trust Develops, mm-hmm. and the more that trust develops, the more secure we can become in the relationship, and the less jealous we'll, we'll less jealousy
2: we'll experience. A hundred percent, Dave. I think it's one of those situations where we try and tell this lie to ourselves that if we don't know it, then it's fine but we know instead the truth is that like the stuff we don't know, our brain is Mm. going to create the worst case scenario possible Mm -hmm. in that setting. Like we do that even outside of relationships. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what anxiety is in some ways Mm -hmm. where like the worst case scenario is just going to exactly, is going to play over in our heads and it's only when we kind of seek that clarification or that the communication is already established as being incredibly open and consenting that um, we kind of can actually Assured by what the reality is instead. So,
1: Dave, you've talked about how you're going to help Q establish what his needs are. Mm -hmm. How's he going to open up this conversation with his partner?
0: Yeah. Uh as I said before, you're going to make sure that you give a little bit of time, you give a little <laughs> bit of warning. And once we're in that conversation, sure. there's a really fantastic strategy that um, I work with a lot of clients around. And, and just before I go into the strategy, I will say that I think any time that you and your partner or partners, depending on what your you know relationship structures look like, uh, are thinking about making a significant change to the boundaries, I would really encourage you to get some professional support for <laughs> that. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to navigate that space alone. There are professionals out there, like the three of us who can mm. help support you down that avenue, um, both you and, and your partner. But one of the things, for example, if I had Q and their partner in the room with me, mm-hmm. one of the things I'd be doing is a little strategy that we call the compromise circles, which is uh, we send the, the clients to opposite sides of the room or the partners to opposite <laughs> sides of the room uh, and get them to write out uh, their non-negotiables. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, what are you absolutely not willing to budge on around this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really important that you get quite specific
1: Okay, so like, for example, could I say, like, I don't feel comfortable with a partner having unprotected sex?
0: Absolutely. That okay. would be specific enough. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but you wouldn't, if you're entering this conversation and you're willing to negotiate, you can't come in with a, a negotiation piece like you're not allowed to sleep with other people.
1: Ah, uh, okay, cool. That would be too broad. <laughs> that might shut down
0: negotiations. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no negotiation around that. Who's Russia in this situation? <laughs> exactly. So uh, you look at your non, you write down first and foremost, your non-negotiables, the things that you're not willing to budge on. Yeah. Uh, and your partner does the same on their end. But then you also write your negotiables. So okay. the points that you are willing to find some compromise around or yep. to be a bit flexible around. Yep.
1: Happy for you. To be on apps, uh, flirting with other people.
0: Exactly. Yes. Right. Um, so you know. this sounds perfect for the avoidance. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> uh, so just you know, it maybe in Q's case, if we're talking about sexual boundaries, sure. if I can just provide a few examples, maybe in non, maybe in non-negotiables, uh, might be you have to use protection of some form. Mm-hmm. Uh, a another non-negotiable might be that you're not allowed to stay the night if uh. you sleep with them. Maybe in Another non-negotiable is you're allowed to, you can only go to their place and not have sex in our house. No one that we know. Exactly. No friendships. Whereas there might be uh, negotiables around, well, you know, I don't really mind how many times you were to sleep with this person. Mm -hmm. I don't really mind, you know, uh, X, Y, Z, whatever the other negotiables Mm -hmm. might be. So we've completed these as the partners have completed these in their separate corners. And then they come back together. And the first, the first stage is to make an agreement to respect each other's non-negotiables. Okay. Yeah. And then what you do is you bring the negotiables out and that is where you find your places of compromise. That is where you find a space that you can kind of come together, negotiate and find something that's going to work for both of you.
2: So Dave, I, I just wanted mm-hmm. to kind of clarify what if our non-negotiables are so kind of restrictive mm-hmm. that they don't allow that other partner potentially to kind of assert their needs? Mm-hmm. So the
0: beauty of this technique is usually within the non-negotiables, if you have a therapist there, that's why I'm saying to get some support because you're often get to loggerheads when you're trying to do this by yourself with your partner. So when you're trying to do this at home with your partner without professional help is with a therapist there, they can usually help you to kind of define it down a little bit so more nuance. exactly yeah you're, you're getting down a little bit further so you're not allowed to sleep with any for example non-negotiable you're not allowed to sleep with anyone we know oh, well
1: but what i go on business trips a lot what about then sure oh well maybe then exactly okay.
0: yeah um or you know is it is it third level acquaintance or you know those types of things what about you jamie if q was in your therapy room
1: Well, I'm definitely going to steal those compromise circles. They're fantastic, yeah. I think they're so, so good. They come
0: from a Gottman couples therapy or Gottman marriage counselling, whichever you want to call it.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful because I normally work with the individual. I don't do couples Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I'll often do if I had Q in my room, I'd be looking at, you know, what are the pros of him opening up his relationship? And this probably taking a step back to, um, you know, in helping him decide is this conversation I want to broach with my partner? Sure. And i say, what are the good things about you opening up your relationship? What are the bad things about mm. you opening up your relationship? Mm. Yep. Um, I'd also go, what are the good things if you didn't open up your relationship and what are the bad things if you didn't? open up your
0: relationship. So kind of like pros and cons of change and pros of cons of staying the same. Yeah, Yeah.
1: absolutely. Because sometimes we think they're the same thing. So this comes from the addiction literature. So what are the pros of giving up smoking versus what are the cons of smoking? Mm -hmm. So a con of smoking might be cigarettes are, are expensive. Yeah. But a pro of giving it up might be lung capacity. Yep. Sure. So, they're slightly different in the way that we frame them in our head. And often once we've mapped out these kind of quadrants, a client's going, well, this is the one that's winning right now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that often helps someone to make a decision and clarify a decision for them because, again, I don't care. I'm going to sleep well tonight whether they're having this conversation with their partner or whether they're not having – Tom's going to get 12 hours regardless. (laughs) So, you know, I I just – Not always. It's about just helping a client tell me what they think that they need and this is one way that I get them there. I really want to say here that I've seen clients who are in wonderful open relationships in like really solid long-term relationships where they're open with their partner and their communication is so good and I'm so impressed with all of them. Um, But I've also seen, um, you know, closed relationships where communication, like monogamous relationships where that communication is just as good. I've seen closed relations, you know, monogamous relationships where that communication is hideous Mm. and I've seen open relationships relationships where that communication hit is i don't think for me i again i don't have an opinion on this i don't think that it's whether a relationship is monogamous or non-monogamous i think that the way that we communicate and the way that that consent is obtained is what makes a relationship feel more solid and safe for all parties involved
2: okay gang final thoughts I'm just going to draw it back to being ethical, um, which was just what our talking point was. But I think it's one that just cannot be stressed enough. Um, And I think ethics, like, kind of covers essentially all the topics today where we talk about communication and it being open, vulnerable, and it being kind of sincere, and kind of one where we also affirm kind of our needs as well as what the partner's uh, needs are.
1: I'd really leave Q with the thought that this might be a really positive step in their relationship and that um, I think the most important thing is not whether, you know, the outcome here, do they get to, you know, get the outcome that they want? I don't think that's what's important here, but I think that they need to be open in their communication with their partner, that they're having this thought at the moment, they're having this desire and I'd love to be able to help them communicate that.
0: And Q, what I'd be leaving you with here is that you and your partner don't need to navigate this space alone. There are lots of professionals out there, uh, be they sexologists, therapists, psychologists, relationship counsellors, who specialise in this area and who can uh, help you and your partner once you've figured out kind of the direction that you're going to figure out where the destination is. Thank you once again to uh, our queue for this week. And thank you all again uh, for listening
2: along to our wonderful podcast. Please uh, like and subscribe and uh, follow us on your favourite podcast app. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every rating and review gets us further up the charts, which means we just find more lovely people um, who can hear our podcast. You love a
1: golden star on this podcast.
0: (laughs) Oh,
2: yeah, you know, I love a golden star on my report cards. Five
1: golden stars.
2: (laughs) And the the more people that
0: we can reach, the more people that we can help. Yeah, 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 wonderful. Okay, we'll see you all next episode. Bye -bye. Bye. Meet Q is brought to you by Q Psychology, Melbourne's leading private psychology practice for the LGBT QIAP community. Q is a fictional character. Any similarities to a specific person are coincidental and are due to Q representing common mental health difficulties experienced by members of the queer community. Any advice provided by the presenters is general in nature and should not replace specific and individualised mental health support that might be needed. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 13 11 14. Rainbow Door is available on 1 800 729 367, 10am to 5pm, seven days a week. And Q Life is available on 1 800 184 527, 3pm to midnight every day. Please visit the Meet Q website at www.meetqpodcast.com for further specific LGBTQIAP mental health resources.